0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have hit songwriter and producer Aaron S. Heiss. You're going to hear Aaron's story of growing up in Kalamazoo and playing in bands in high school with Ryan Hurd. You'll also hear about his first couple months in Nashville and his time at Belmont and the story behind the writing of Scotty McCreary's hit song, This Is It. I had a great time talking to Aaron. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. Try not to be bitter, you gotta do it either way. Keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. So when life throws a jab, you gotta duck out of the way. Ooh. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. Today we have Aaron Icehouse with us, hit songwriter.
1: How you doing, today, Aaron? Good, man. I'm I'm doing good. So Icehouse is like my my sort of music nickname. My my last name is pronounced S ice. S Okay. Yeah, gotcha. but my publishing is Icehouse Tunes, and my reverb uh, account is Icehouse. So you it, you didn't get it wrong. I'm just giving <laughs> you the Dutch pronunciation of it.
0: See, I thought it might be Dutch because uh, where I'm from, there's a Amish restaurant called uh, Essen House near us, and I thought there there
1: might dude, be some I've, Dutch background. I've had dinner at Essen House. I know exactly what you're In about. In Middlebury, Indiana. Yeah, dude, we used no to go to Shawana all the time growing up.
0: Man, that's so funny because I mean, I knew you were from Kalamazoo, and my, me and my family would come up there all the time. It's funny,
1: kind of growing yeah. up uh, near the same areas. Yeah, absolutely. That's a beautiful Amish country. I, I think I probably took it for granted being so close to it growing up, but I've been through, you know, as an adult, it's pretty amazing. Cool community. So growing up in Kalamazoo, uh, what was your childhood like? Um, we I grew up on kind of a hobby ranch. Um, we had a few acres, um, had some horses and uh, it was in 4-H showing horses. And later on, we got cows and chickens and my brother did that. But there, I was the second oldest of five kids and like i said we lived in the country just down the street from my grandparents who also had a kind of a, a farm like that um so it's just a really great great way to grow up um country music was always on in the barn and so to, to me that was just what music was i didn't know it was a genre um that was just you know garth brooks and alan jackson and shania twain and it was just on all the time um sure. and i think I don't know. At a certain point, I just got interested enough to want to see if I could do it. Did you grow up in a
0: musical family at all? Was anyone else playing music around the house?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, both of my parents um, played an instrument. My grandparents on my mom's side had a gospel quartet called the Volunteers, and they had a couple of records. Um, so I always saw that um, growing up, and they were they were always playing, you know, at Christmas parties or whatever. Everyone played something and but everyone all the kids in my family also do we didn't have a family band or anything but my parents introduced us to music and we all kind of played an instrument my sister played piano or the other one played violin and um yeah it was a pretty musical the house
0: now what was some of the first records or artists you remember hearing around the house or resonating with that kind of got
1: you into music Elvis Presley and Elton John were the first Two that I fell in love with. We had um all kinds of stuff, especially from like the 70s when my parents were in high school, uh, Carpenters, Chicago, um, but also newer stuff like uh nineties, um, Vince Gill, Amy Grant, um, that stuff was around. But Elton John was my first love of songs. Um, it was the first time I recognized like or connected with a song lyric. Um, but then Elvis was just so cool. Um, he just had style and groove and um I like you know kind of dancing and playing fake playing guitar to that stuff
0: for sure uh
1: now did your parents put you into music lessons as a kid or did you come to
0: your parents and say like hey I want to learn like an instrument
1: yeah um my mom put me in piano early on so I was probably six or seven maybe when I started piano lessons uh and I wasn't good at reading sight reading and I didn't like theory um but I had an okay ear and I really enjoyed playing so I would kind of just memorize the songs um, or try to for my lessons, and I didn't. I didn't do great in piano, and I quit really as soon as I could. Um, but I had a, a friend I had a guitar, and my dad had a guitar. But when my friend started showing me, his name was Tyler Wilson, when he started showing me some of the chords that our favorite rock bands at the time were playing, um, I got really got got into guitar, and then I, that just kind of took off. My mom got me into lesson a few lessons for that. And I, I had a cool, uh, cool teacher named Jeremy Morris that kind of taught me some rock and roll stuff early on. But then it was just off to the races. Once I figured out enough chords that I could kind of figure out songs on my own, then I I quit lessons. I, I was never very good at lessons.
0: Yeah. Now, what, growing up in Kalamazoo, were you uh like kind of in the scene the same time as like Frankie Ballard and his band were kind of coming out of the same area, or are you guys in two different like
1: generations? Um, we were yes, but. When I was there, Frankie is a little older than me. I don't know between probably like four or five years older than me, maybe. And so at the time he was playing uh, in bars. I think he played it in Kalamazoo at one place and uh, at Battle Creek, I think is where he's from. But um, mm-hmm. I left Kalamazoo when I was 18, so when he would have been playing at the bars, I couldn't even get in. So we didn't really cross paths. Um, I've I've met him, but uh, you know we've we've seen each other down here, but not not growing up. I didn't. Mm-hmm.
0: So brought uh, what brought you out of Kalamazoo at eighteen? Then did you uh move somewhere for music? Was it for school?
1: Yeah, it was for. Well, I knew right away that. Or, well, not right away. I, by the time I was graduating high school, I knew I wanted to be in Nashville. Um, and me and my buddy Ryan Heard uh went to school together. Um, grew up together in in Michigan, and he was a year ahead of me in school. So we had a band, and then he uh like I said, he graduated ahead of me, and then he came down um and went to Belmont, and then I did. The same thing the next year. Um, I just knew that I wanted to be in Nashville, and Belmont was, you know, kind of right on Music Row, and it seemed like a good, good transitional place. And um, despite the cost, we thought it might be worth it for, uh, you know, a soft place to land as an 18-year-old and kind of get me, a, a, you know, as connected as I could be at that age.
0: So going back to high school, uh, were you and Ryan Heard playing in bands like locally? Were you guys writing together? What was that kind of relationship
1: like? Yeah, we had a band in high school called Cherry Balance, and we made one record. His dad bought us a computer and and uh, Logic, which ran on a PC. This is before Apple bought it, uh, way back in the day. So this would have been 2005, probably. And we recorded an album in, in his basement um, and played a couple of, talent shows and um, Battle of the Bands and little festivals here and there. Um, That was really just like for a year or a summer before Ryan graduated and came down to Nashville. Um, But he and I liked the same kind of music and we were sort of the only ones that we knew that were kind of writing that way, kind of pop rock country stuff. Um, So he and I really connected on that early on and, you know, we've been really close ever since, still down here working together today. For sure. Now, when you guys were playing in high school together, could you feel
0: something like with that relationship that you guys both like wanted to do it professionally? Like you guys didn't want to stay in like Michigan playing music. Like, could you feel that like you guys were both going to probably go on to do something in music?
1: Yeah, I think I think by the time we were 17 or so, we both knew that that's what we were wanting to do. At least the idea of getting out of town, being in Nash, getting down to Nashville and, and trying it. I think was exciting I don't know that we had any clue as to how you kind of get into the music business um at that point but I think we just love the idea of um just getting out being on our own and seeing the country um so yeah by the time we were graduating we, we knew that that's where we were headed for sure
0: now your first uh couple months in Nashville you're out Belmont th- getting thrown into like a huge talent pool, but also what does that like a uh, first few months look like networking, kind of like going out on the scene and meeting people away from Belmont as well?
1: Um, I was always kind of shy. Um, so I think I was just taking it in really for the first year or so. Um, just trying to survive, you know, like yeah. small town down, moving down to Nashville. Um, and I think I was not shy surprised maybe just a little maybe um I didn't expect to be so far off from how good I needed to be um I not that I thought I would you know take the town by storm or anything like that I wasn't it it was nothing I didn't think that I was going to get discovered or like instantly be pulled into the big leagues and on a tour bus or anything like that I knew it was going to be a really long road but I didn't realize how far off I was, and I didn't even know what I should be practicing yet. Yeah. So I think it was, it was a lot of that for the first year or two, um, and it was internships and stuff. Um, I got to be a fly on the wall with some really cool records. Um, I was in the audio engineering program at Belmont, and through that I was able to, you know, get an internship at, at the Castle, a studio in, in Franklin, south mm-hmm. of Nashville. And it was a really small studio and there was only one intern at a time um, or during the day at least. There was a few interns at the studio, but it was only one at a time during the day. And so I got to be the only one there watching these um, big records being made. And so it was that that time that really kind of taught me what it was I needed to learn and and what I needed to practice.
0: Now, at that time, what was the the goal? Were you wanting to be an artist? Did you already know you wanted to do like producer songwriting?
1: I think I wanted. I think I wanted to be in a band. Um, mm-hmm. I, I never felt like uh, a solo artist, but I was. I, again, back in at that time, you didn't really. or I didn't understand that there was different jobs. I thought that you, you know, you sing, write, record, and play and perform. Like that was the job. I didn't realize that you could do just a part of it, in sort of a behind the scenes kind of way. So at the time, I think I just thought I wanted to be on stage and on a tour bus and and in the studio and writing and recording, you know. Yeah. Um. But as soon as I I figured out or or saw that there was jobs just in the studio or just in town, or even on the road, you could be just a side person and not necessarily, ha- you know, having to um, promote your own stuff. Um. I got really interested in that, and so I was. I played it in bands as a hired gun, all while um, being an intern and an assistant engineer kind of coming up in the studio world. So
0: how soon after you moved to town uh, do you sign your first publishing deal? And was your first one with uh, Smack Songs?
1: My first one, let's see, was would have been like two years out of college. So probably like 2012, 11 or 12. And my college buddies, uh, Joey Hyde is one of them, Matt McGinn, We didn't go to college together, but he started coming down to Nashville about the time I was graduating Belmont around 2010. And then Ryan. We all got publishing deals around the same time because we'd been writing and recording together Mm -hmm. at that studio at the castle. Um, I kind of had the studio for free, after hours type of a situation, and I was just an amateur engineer. So the songs we had all been writing together, I was able to kind of record into somewhat, you know, produced – sounding records and at the time this was before um everyone could make full full band sounding demos on their computer you know you almost you kind of had to have people in the room right um and that kind of gave us a leg up a little bit i think um compared to other people our age so we we're you know 22 23 years old at this stack of songs that was recorded by a band um and it was kind of yeah we we kind of all finagled Publishing companies to let us have a chance. Around the same time, I signed to Warner Chapel. Ryan was at Universal Publishing. Joey Hyde was at Sony, and Matt McGinn was the original first songwriter that Shane McAnally signed at Smack. And wow. I ended up there
0: later, but Matt was the first one. So is that how you, what eventually leads you to Smack songs?
1: Uh, is through uh, your friend? Yep, I did five years at Warner Chapel. And, um, when that deal was done, yes, I went, Matt was still at SMAC and I went over there and joined him and our other buddy, Ryan Beaver joined SMAC, um, with me at, at about the same time. So what's that, uh, first, co- first few conversations
0: with, uh, Shane McAnally, like, uh, when he's kind of scouting you out to be published, do you, do you remember any of those early conversations?
1: Um, yeah, for sure. And we knew each other. Cause at that time I'd been, um, riding professionally in town for five years and I've had some and stuff but I was kind of ready for you know to try to find a new gear and try to you know make bigger moves um but the first meeting I think that we had at Smack um was with Shane and Josh Osborne and I the thing that stands out to me the most about that meeting compared to a lot of others I was having with other publishers is they didn't they weren't super interested in who I was writing with or what kind of rooms I was in or what I wanted to, to do or what I was trying to do they just asked me to play them music that I'd written and then you know these these guys would just kind of sit back in their chairs and close their eyes and listen to what I was working on and and it was um I don't know it was really it was a special meeting stood out to me and it felt like it was a place a good home for me to to just do what I do and get better at it um and and at certain at a a certain point I think you start focusing on business decisions is like who do we need to be writing with and what kind of records should we we be shooting for? But there definitely needs to be a season. And I needed the season of getting better um, and just practicing and trying new things and becoming a deeper well. Um, And I think I was really able to do that at SMAC.
0: How did it feel during that meeting, like having them... uh focused just on the music like they didn't care about kind of what rooms you were in just like solely just wanting to hear how what you were writing at the time like did that feel like you were kind of a priority and it was just based on the music
1: yeah more than more than it just being about me there it was it was a, another lesson and so these guys are huge massive hit songwriters written you know dozens of number one hit songs and they're there closing their eyes you know listening to the music and the lyric and like I think from an outsider's perspective it's easy to make the wrong assumption that it's about who you know and it's about connections and um political moves and and you know business stuff like that and it, it, it in a there's an element of that sure but really what matters is the craft in writing a great song and get and what is, what is the lyrics saying? is it moving you is it does it make you feel something? That is that is the most important thing when you can do that well, you know, success follows. And it was just a, a real life example, um, seeing them, listening to my songs, um, showing me what, I, you know, how far I needed to go yet. And um, sometimes that makes you uncomfortable, too, because it shines a light on your lyric. Suddenly, you know, you're kind of under the microscope there and it's like, dang, maybe I could have made that line better. Or maybe we kind of wish we would have spent a little more time on that chorus or yeah. Whatever you know, um, it was just a great lesson.
0: So you produced Scotty McCree's uh, Season Change a- album, which is a really cool record because he hadn't put in, out a lot of music uh, for a couple years leading up to that. How does that come about that he comes to you and says he wants you to produce the, his first record in a few years?
1: Yeah. So there was a time, um, it was around kind of like there was a a really big shift in the sound in Nashville, like Florida Georgia Line was kind of responsible for, you know, what they called the Bro Country era. Um, and I think for people like Scotty, that had a little bit more of a classic sound that was a, kind of a a, a time of, of change, like you know figuring out what to do next. And he had he was out of a record at that point. He had a couple of hits early on off the success of the American Idol show. Huh? Um, and he still had a really strong touring game. And it's not and he definitely could have signed anywhere. I'm sure that he wanted to. But he was just in a kind of a, a season. Um, in between record deals and had a new management company and and I would known his management through other other friends and so they had, um, reached out to me asking if I wanted to write with Scotty. Um, I said, of course. And Scotty came over and we wrote a couple of songs um, which both made that album, I guess. We wrote Still, I think was the first one we wrote and then we wrote a song called Move It, out, Move it On Out. Um, and then when he had his new record deal kind of in place and Frank Rogers was on on board to produce him again. Frank had done one or two albums with him before. And I'd known Frank from being an intern at the castle, which I'd mentioned earlier. Um, And between Frank and Scotty's management, I think that they decided it might be a good idea to ask me to come along um, and and help out. And so um, actually the day that Frank Rogers and Scotty and myself wrote Scotty's song, This Is It, um, which went on to be a single for him. Um, after we wrote the song, I think Frank pulled me aside and asked if I wanted to be involved in producing the album with them. Of course, I said yes. I was thrilled.
0: So, what do you remember about the day you wrote "This Is It"? I mean, such a special song for Scotty. I mean, telling the story about proposing to his wife. And like, did he tell you at the beginning of the write, like, this is the song, like, I want to use to kind of propose to my uh, wife?
1: Uh kind of. Yeah. He said that he had his plan um for popping the question and he was describing the the scene where he was gonna do it. And um I had just been my wife and I had just got married, I don't know, probably that year or the year before or something like that, but it was still fresh on my mind and he knew that and he had kind of, yeah, like I said, painted the picture for how he was going to pop the question, and that kind of became the first verse. Uh, he, he knew he he wanted to write about that, and that she was the one, and that they they wanted uh, they were going to get married, and but he hadn't asked her yet, um, so it was kind of a secret for a while after we'd written it. Um, and I think he played it to her probably immediately after or or soon after he yeah, uh, asked her to marry him, and she said yes. Do you think that uh, you
0: being newly married at the time too kind of added into you being able to bring in a lot of cool elements into the song?
1: Yeah, I think so. It, it did. It it, it felt um, natural to me. And I, this, the second verse, I feel like is maybe where um, I connected with him the most because it, just that feeling of, uh, you know, having a ring in your pocket and knowing that you're going to ask and, and waiting for the right time just, you know, can kind of drive a guy crazy. And so I definitely related to that and that kind of, is what the the second verse um, turned into.
0: For sure. Now another one of my favorites you uh, have written is a uh, to a T with Ryan Hurd. Do you remember anything about the day you wrote that
1: one? Uh, so that song I didn't actually write. I, I produced that song with. Okay. Uh, and that was a, a co production with Dan Huff. Um cool. Just legendary. Just an incredible producer. Um, and it was really really special to be able to be in the studio with him. Um, gosh, just. I learned so much just watching him and listening. Um, that was an incredible experience. And that song was written with Laura Belts and Nathan Spicer. And that was Ryan's first um, radio hit. I think it got to 20 or something on the charts or somewhere in the 20s, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, had Maren singing on it. Um, and a really, really, really cool song.
0: Well, what was it like then uh, working uh, alongside Dan Huff? I mean, not only producing with him, but probably seeing him lay down some crazy guitar tracks too.
1: It was yeah, it was awesome. And going back to my time as an intern, I was at the castle when Dan was producing Keith Urban Define Gravity. Oh album. Um, and so like I got to be there watching songs like uh Sweet Thing kind of come to life um right there in the studio. So it was definitely a full circle moment to to kind of be um you know in the producing chair with Dan. Um yeah it was it was kind of a dream come true and I learned so much I think I learned the most the biggest thing is I learned I think from Dan was what what really matters in a recording and to not sweat the small stuff and to let the let the song kind of happen not to micromanage and just look for the the places the moments where you can add something rather than trying to control the whole project and you know, telling people what they what you think they should play before they even start strumming or whatever. Don't he's so so good at just facilitating um a special moment and kind of catching lightning in, a, in the bottle and and that was my probably my most major takeaway. And also vocals. Like he he really just if it's a great singer and Ryan's a great singer, um just get him behind the microphone and let him sing a song a few times. Um and then and then let them leave. Like you don't have to you don't have to wear them out. And I think I think i had always overthought vocal sessions, especially with a good singer. I don't I don't think it's necessary to really wear them out, um, sing it over and over and over again. Let them do their thing, you know. And yeah. let them go. And Dan's I mean he's got the he's got the platinum records um, to back it up. <laughs>
0: For sure. So, what's your uh, writing process look like these days? Are are you a guy that has like a bunch of titles in their phone Is a bunch of voice memos? Uh, kind of how? Where do you put your inspiration before you go into a writing session?
1: So, I like. I think my strength is um as sort of a reactionary accompanist. Uh, so there's usually an artist and then another songwriter in the room. There's usually three of us, and we write here at my studio. Um, and I like. I always have. I'll put it this way. I always have titles and I always have musical ideas just in case there's nothing happening in the room. But I rarely need them um, because well, the people I'm with are, are so so talented. Um, and the artists usually come in with something that they want to say. Um, and and so I like to, um, I'll turn on my voice memo on my phone and hit record um, as soon as they start um singing or strumming or talking about their idea that they have and then i try to support that as best i can and if it if it means um laying down a loop or a drum loop or playing a guitar or a synth or something whatever i feel like is going to help them do their thing and that's that's what i reach for um and if they get stuck or if the, you know if there's a lull in the room and we need a lyric then I'll throw out a bunch of crazy, usually bad ideas, and it gets, um, it might get something going again. You know, it, it's yeah. not, I'm just there to, to try to fill some gaps, you know. For sure. Now I like to close my interviews by asking, what's a piece of advice
0: you've learned along your journey that you'd give to the aspiring songwriters out there?
1: Sure. Uh, find your people. Um, it's easy to feel i don't know overwhelmed at the beginning i think back to my first couple of years in nashville and i think i had uh, this false sense or desire that maybe i would be uh discovered at a certain point and it is it's a long game there's there's a few people that get lucky you know and and get thrown into the spotlight early on but for the most for most of us i think it's a long journey and I, there's there's so much um, that's there's so much value in the hours you put in early on and getting better at your craft and then going back to the people um, that you find like align yourself with people with similar values as you at the beginning and learn and build together I don't think any publisher is going to want to sign you or any artist is necessarily going to want to record or work work with you based on one song that they hear you know this publisher's not going to sign you because they think they can take this song to the top of the charts it's going to be because they see potential in you and I think it's our job early on to develop that potential and it sounds like a long road and daunting and like people call Nashville a 10-year town but it's it's really true you know Um, it takes a long time to build these skills and to find your crew but it's also a lot of fun um, so write with people that are a similar level with you, um, and then one day you kind of look to your left and right, and you will kind of see like, oh, we're now the new people in town that are kind of having a little success. And now my buddy over here is, runs a publishing company, and this friend over here works at a record label. And it and it wasn't really about getting in the room with somebody; it was like we all kind of developed and got better together. Whereas now.
0: 10 years and it's a career. Well, guys, there you have it. My conversation with Aaron S. Heiss. Aaron, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with you. Everyone go follow him on Instagram at Aaron S. Heiss. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with Chase Butler, tour manager for Tyler Braden. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram at Starting Small Music, and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.